we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. The Sweet 16 is set. Why conference affiliation means nothing and perhaps sometimes means everything, we'll explain. This is the College Game Day Podcast for Monday, March 20th. Reese Davis here, Pete Thamel and I had a conflict in schedule and I won, so you don't have to listen to Pete and you are forced to listen to me, but we are graced by the presence of the great Seth Greenberg, two-time ACC Coach of the Year. And Seth, I want to start with, look, there are, there are improbable stories all across this Sweet 16. Princeton playing Creighton in the regional semifinals in the South. Ford Atlantic still alive. That might be a little more expected after Purdue was upset. But the one that everybody says, oh, you should have seen it coming. You never bet against him in March is Tom Izzo back to the Sweet 16 for the 15th time in his career. Now, you say you never bet against Izzo in March, but only one time in the previous six tournaments had Michigan State gotten out of the first weekend. And in addition to that, from your uh dealings with uh with tom this year this might have been a little unexpected at times even for his club is that fair enough yeah this is this is definitely uh unexpected almost as unexpected as me being better dressed than you doing a, a show how about it's that unbelievable. i mean that's that's upset. One, you, one, day you wear, one day you wear sneakers the next day you're in a quarter zip what is this <laughs> world coming to it's hard it's hard when your icons uh are proven to have feet of clay and i apologize exactly. for that um you know, I talked to Tom last night after the game. It's as happy as I've heard him uh, in a long time and how as proud as I've heard him. But that was a vintage Michigan State win. If you think about it, elite guard play. A.J. Hogarth and Tyson Walker were absolutely terrific. Physical, tough defense, taking the Big East Player of the Year out of the game, and Tyler Kolick, and then rebounding. That was Michigan State under... Team Cleves, that was Michigan State. Cassius Winston, that was Final Four Michigan State vintage winning basketball. And look, can they do it again? You know what? They've got a pretty good bracket. But for the last month, he's really fought with this team to get him to defend consistently. They've gotten more in the mindset of trading baskets. They defended yesterday. We know about all season long, he's fought with A.J. Hogarth to get him to be that guy, just that guy that can, you know, you can count on each and every night. And he was that guy yesterday. Uh, the development of Joey Hauser has been great. The development of the front court, Cooper and, and Sissoko has been um, amazing to watch. But that, I, I was really happy. I mean, literally, they're boarding the plane and I get this phone call. And you could hear the joy, excitement, and pride of what his team accomplished uh, with everything that went on this year. Uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty emotional, actually. It was pretty cool for me. Well, there was a, the tragedy on campus that, that affected Tom deeply. It affected the players um, with with the shootings uh, that, that happened on the Michigan State campus. So certainly there was a psychological aspect of that that Tom and the Spartans had to deal with on a personal level. Um, you know, the the basketball side of it, 
was the was the part of the equation that I, I wasn't sure that they were going to get fixed. And it really illustrates, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I'm I'm staring at a bracket that's that's in disaster. Because if we could pick the games, we'd all go to Vegas and and we'd all be able to dress like you, even on our uh, dress down days. We'd have the have the money that two time ACC coaches of the year have. But this is a team that that had they were three and three over their last six games of the regular season, hadn't played particularly well, kind of stunk it up in the Big Ten tournament. And, you know, it, it was it's hard to it, it's gotten to the point, Seth, where I don't know if they should reinstitute uh, the evaluation of how teams are playing down the stretch. This is an example of why you don't. But it's all it's all it all seems to be matchup driven and whether the whether the right motivation is touched upon at the right time in terms of of whether teams reach their potential in the NCAA tournament. And obviously, uh, Michigan State's found a way to do that. Yeah, like matchup driven is, is really important. I you know you guys probably to nauseum, you know, listen to me talk about imposing your identity on a game mm-hmm. and. It really, that's what it comes down to. We've got incredible games coming up in Sweet 16 where you talk about two very different types of teams. But look, Michigan State last yesterday, um, they were physical defensively. They did a great job in their ball screen defense. They ran on opportunity, which we know this is probably two things Michigan State's done better this year. Their transition game is back and they're taking care of better care of the basketball. Uh, you know, so th- those things now when they haven't, they've struggled. But Identity is the most important thing, and they were able to do that. They, they were physical enough without fouling yesterday. They did a great job on Kolick. And then that backcourt, I mean, Tyson Walker with those pull-ups, and Hogard getting downhill, and Joey Hauser knocking down threes, and the bigs being involved. The whole tournament now has become a matchup. The whole tournament has become a matchup, and your ability to, to impose. I mean, like every single game, it, it literally comes down to every single upset comes down to identity. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, if if you were, and everybody does this exercise once you get to the Sweet 16, and I think Myron Medcalf did it on ESPN.com today. If you were to reseed the tournament, I, that would be based largely on what you'd seen in the first two rounds right now. Um, I don't think you would change at the top. Alabama would still be the number one overall seed. I'd probably... Look, I look at this a little differently than some. I really like Houston, but I would my number two overall seed would be UConn. And then it would probably be Houston after that. And then maybe Texas. Um, so you you look at these teams right now and you talk about imposing your will and identity and matchups. To me, the the two teams in this tournament that look, can they play poorly and lose? Of course they can. Can, you know, especially Alabama, can they go two of 36 from three and lose? Yeah, sure they can. But the two teams who can impose, who have more ways to impose their will and create more matchup problems for whoever they play are Alabama and UConn. And probably just beyond that, because of the way they play defense would be Houston. Would you agree with that? To some extent, but you know what? All right. So I'm going to take Alabama. All right, which I agree. I, Alabama's the most talented team in the country. They can survive by defending. They can survive by beating you offensively. They can decide that they can beat you, obviously, with, with their talent. Brandon Miller has to play, but you know what? They got other guys who can step up. They're playing a San Diego State team that can beat them with their identity. If they make that thing a rock fight, think about the teams that have beaten Alabama. All right, Tennessee made it a rock fight. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma made it a rock fight. Yep. So, like, you know, 
again, style makes fights. I agree with you 100%. Alabama, overall number one, without a doubt. Number two, UConn. All right, they're stuck with Arkansas. What is Arkansas going to do? All right, they're going to be relentless defensively. They're going to pressure their guards. They're going to try to turn them over. They're going to drive it downhill. Get You know what? If they make that game, the crazier that game gets, the better it is for for an Arkansas team. So, But I agree with the, how you've yeah. seeded it. I, don't, I just think that, like, no one has separated themselves by that much. No, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Thousand percent. You know, I've said that about that, that's the, you know, it, it was really Ken Pomeroy actually had an interesting tweet the other day saying that, you know, the idea is that you need to slow Alabama down and they've actually been slightly less efficient when, uh, when they play faster. That's probably, my guess is that's probably a product of the Gonzaga game and a couple of games when they've missed a bunch of threes playing at that pace. But I agree with you. 100% on both of them. I'm not saying those two teams are invincible by any right. stretch of the imagination. I'm saying they're the two that create more problems and have more ways to impose their identity. Yep. But if but if the game but the game is uh, officiated in a certain way as many of them have been in this tournament and I was pleased to see a uh, former Louisville and Xavier coach Chris Mack come out and uh and decry the way some of the games are being played in the tournament. But no, there's no doubt that that those teams can lose. I think they're the two best teams right now, along with Houston and Texas, probably um, are yeah. are the are the four best. There are others. There are others that can win. Arkansas, you know, is a preseason team that many thought could go to the Final Four. Creighton was a team that many thought could go to the Final Four. Miami, my Miami as well. And uh, you know, Miami this is, is dangerous. You know, you know why they're dangerous, Seth. Why do you think RD loves Miami? Is I speak of myself in third person? Because they make shots, baby. Yeah. They make shots. Yeah, they make shots. And they're not afraid to take shots. Yeah. Well, they play with great confidence. And that, and, and look, you've done a bunch of Miami games. You've been with Jim. He empowers his team. He doesn't enable them, but he empowers them. Mm-hmm. That team feels as good about themselves as any team that's in the tournament, maybe besides Kansas State or along with Kansas State, and I think Jerome Tang does a very similar thing. But but they also, defensively, I thought they were terrific yesterday. I mean, they were terrific. But Miami, because of Jordan Miller is a matchup problem. Isaiah Wong is a matchup problem. Or Ch- Norchad O'Meara, think about this. Like, talk about guys in the transfer portal. Have there been a more, has there been a more productive player in the transfer portal, a more impactful player in the transfer portal than Norchad O'Meara? He, he's he's close to the top. He's given them exactly what they need. And you saw in the ACC tournament when he was hurt, they still played well and they still played hard. But you saw the big difference when he's not in, when he's not on the floor for them. Dude's a joke. He's he's a joke. So yeah, I, those four, I totally agree with you. I thought the second half, Houston, we saw mm-hmm. what I call yeah. Houston's version of the Baylor national championship team. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, because I've compared Houston to Baylor's national championship because of that backcourt. We saw Marcus Sasser be Davion Mitch. We saw Traymond Mark when Sasser went out, just played at a high level. We saw Jamal Shedd make plays. And then we saw those frontcourt guys rebound, physical, get to the offensive glass, defend. That was the best version of Houston I've seen probably all season, that one half. And that so that's their very best. Can now now can they duplicate that? Can they be healthy enough? to duplicate that as they move along. But, yeah, I know, look, you like Miami because Nigel Pack's knowing where his shots are coming from, and Isaiah Wong could score at all three levels. And Jordan Miller's like a, a Swiss Army knife, 
that just finds ways to score. And even our guy, Wuga, who just mm-hmm. flies around and, and makes plays, and they play with so much confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean that, that's the amazing thing. I mean, the way that Jim Laranega is almost enjoying this journey is absolutely been incredible. He, no one has more joy in what he's doing than Jim Laranega. It's, it's absolutely incredible. His ability to be the grandfather, the coach, the mentor, the, I mean, the motivator, the, the game plan. I mean, it's, it is incredible what he's doing. At a, at a place where, as, as we know, that not that the administration doesn't care, they certainly do because they've, you know, they've shown some support, but because of the various things to do in Miami and there's not a really rich heritage of basketball excellence there, though they've been good. They were in the elite eight just last year. And, you know, Jim had those, had those great teams with Larkin not long after he got there, but what they sold like a hundred tickets to the ACC tournament. ACC you know, it's, tournament. it's crazy. It, it's it's crazy. not, yeah, it's not like, it's not like this is sort of a part of the fabric of the culture there. And for him to continue uh, to have excellence, they've done a good job using the current rules of making sure that they can they can get guys and keep guys around. And I think Jim's demeanor, uh, to your point, really permeates that entire team. And they, you know, they they play hard. Things aren't uh catastrophic. You know, they had they had one of the worst losses of the season, one of the worst losses I've seen in several years when they they blew that 25 point lead to a Florida State team that was uh, yeah. certainly not what it typically is. That's a bad loss late in the season. And instead of, you know, instead of it rattling them, they just, you know, they just came back and play, you know, came back and played and yep. beat Pitt and uh, ended up getting the number one seed in the ACC tournament. And they have a chance to go to the elite eight for the second straight year, but they have to play Houston. If you're going to, I want to hit on a couple of other games here in our, in our time together coming up, Seth, uh, and also take a quick look back. Houston, Miami, you talk about imposing your identity. Can Miami, because of the way it plays Miami, I'm not saying they're soft at all. They just their style defensively is not what Houston's is. Who's more likely to impose its identity on that game? My, my, I would suspect it's Houston, though I would think Miami could stay in it if they if they make a lot of shots. Is that fair? I think you, I, I actually think Miami's under <clears throat> excuse me underrated defensively. Uh, what Miami's going to do in this game is they're going to go heels to the three point line. They're going to go more pack line. They're going to keep everything in front. I think they're going to be fairly physical. I actually think they've got pretty good matchups across the board. Uh, Poplar is a big time mm-hmm. defender. Yeah. Uh, you know, Isaiah Wong is a very good defender. Uh, I actually think the styles are a little bit more similar than people realize. I think that Miami's defense is underrated. I think. Houston, in a lot of ways, I don't like their offense. I think it's very simple, but both, this is a, this is going to be a game of simplicity. It really is. Both coaches, they do not make the game very difficult. Mm-hmm. They really don't. They run really simple offense. They ro- give players chances to make plays. Uh, it'll be a ton of simple ball screens, double gaps, and, and pack line defense for both of these teams. The, the, the advantage goes to Houston is I think their ball screen coverages are the best in college basketball. A lot has to do with Keldon's NBA background mm-hmm. and dealing with having to defend it. 
But I actually think these two style, styles are very, very similar with Houston being a little bit more physical in their front court, although Norchad O'Meara is a match. This, this to me, this I actually did this this morning. This is the one game that, in terms of style of play, it's almost a push in my in my, in my view. So, so tell me why, as I'm as I'm looking and I'm not trying to be a numbers nerd here on you, but Miami, Miami's numbers aren't great. You no, know, they're, they're like 108th in defensive efficiency, give up almost 102 uh, you know points per 100 possessions, and Houston's like down in the 80s. So, why is it that you think Miami's defense is? Uh, and look, I, I want to talk offense. You know me, but why is it that you think Miami's defense will will be up to the task? Although it has been in these first two rounds, it's been it's been much better than it often was in the regular season. Because they 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 don't turn it over a lot, they don't give up a lot of second shots overall, and they keep you in front. So the ability to to get in the lane so that you get angles to get to the offensive glass. And I don't even know, like, I don't have Miami's defensive rebound numbers in front of me. But because of their ability to basically build a wall from the three-point line in, I think that could eliminate their situation in terms of having to over-rotate. So then they're positioned to rebound the ball. And then Norchad O'Meara, he's got the, the body type and the pursuit to match the relentless rebounding of of Houston. Look, we know Houston, 37% of the shots, they rebound, which is crazy. They turn people over 22% of their possessions. I don't think Miami turns the ball over in this game, and I don't think they give up second shots. So therefore, they're setting their defense. And now all of a sudden, Houston's having to play in front of a set defense that will, if Houston wins, they're going to have to make shots, jump shots. Mm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so it's Houston, Miami, and the Midwest, Xavier in Texas in the other part of that bracket. In the West, we've touched briefly on Arkansas and UConn. There's time for that. Gonzaga and Poor UCLA. Old UCLA and Gonzaga. Yeah, Gonzaga and UCLA again in the tournament from the Jalen Suggs shot 
to uh, the Adam Morrison game when you know Gonzaga was trying to finally break through, and now here here are the Zags back in the Sweet 16 again. What is what is that, Taylor? Is that eight in a row? Is that what it is for Gonzaga now? Um, Sweet 16, something like that, something ridiculous. Here yeah, they are. Up. Here they are back, and here they are running into their old nemesis and a team that they denied an opportunity to play for the national championship just a couple of years ago. And, you know, UCLA is dealing, has been dealing with injuries, got another scare with Singleton this week. And then Gonzaga all of a sudden looks like Gonzaga again. And that's been a little bit in fits and starts throughout the course of the regular season. But it was almost like after, after that loss to, to St. Mary's, uh, they came back and they they beat them, you know, game that you and I saw up close, and then they walloped them in the West Coast Conference Tournament. And they were, I mean, look, TCU played its tail off last night. I mean, absolutely yep. played their rear ends off. And Gonzaga, you know, Gonzaga was up to the challenge. But Temi and Strother and Bolton hit some big shots. And, you know, Hickman was good. They, um, you know, they really, they, they really had, have, they're hitting their stride at the right time too, in what ought to be a sensational game in the West. Hey, Reese, this is this is going to be the sense. Well, first of all, what, what makes a great game? First of all, you got to have stars. Mm-hmm. So you got Drew Timmy, <clears throat> who is a show-winning himself, greatest footwork, creates angles, scores it. Jaime Jaquez, you look at the end of games. That dude just makes plays. I mean, he makes play. You need a shot, he makes a shot. You need a stop, he gets a stop. You need a rebound, he gets a rebound. I mean, it's you want to knock down three, I'll knock down three. You want to get him posted up, he'll post up. So you got the stars. You got contrasting styles. I mean, you talk about what makes a great matchup. You got Mexicans try to grind that thing out, make it physical, extend their defense, try to create a little offense out of the defense. But if not, you know, keep everything in front. Offensively, uh, they're not going to play out of control. I mean, they're going to be totally where Mark View. They're going to be playing great flow now. Where where Gonzaga has improved, I think, is defense. I think they really have since that first St. Mary's game. We saw it firsthand, but also if you look across the board, they've been more connected defensively. I guess the word I'm using because St. Mary's a hard team to defend, and they did a great job defending them. Obviously, TCU's a hard team to defend. They're playing out in transition, so style of play will be interesting. The stars will be interesting. The X factors will be interesting. Who's going to step up? Who's going to, is it going to be Amari Bailey? Is it going to be Adem Bona? Now, if Adem Bona gets in foul trouble, he's got to stay down, stay down, stay down, and stay down some more on all those things that Drew Timmy does. Because if he goes out, that's going to be an issue. I thought Bona's been really good, and that shoulder is an issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that whether it's popping out or whether it's it's a bruise, I don't know what it is, but it, it, it's an issue. But to me, this is going to be a possession game. This is going to go down to basically if Jaime Hawkins and Tiger Campbell can make a play down the stretch or can Julian Strother or Drew Timmy make a play down the stretch. Nation's longest winning streak, the nation's number one team and adjusted offensive efficiency, the nation's number one team in two-point field goal shooting, the nation's number 10 team in threes. I mean, they are. <laughs> they so are, I know where you're leaning. Well, uh, you know, actually, actually, I, I'm not Seth. If I have to stick with my original bracket, I, I I had 
um, I had UCLA losing to UConn, that's, which is the only bracket I'm even close to. But I, I do really, really like the way Gonzaga is playing right now. If there is one of the, let's call them Cinderella's, whether it's, uh, you want to call it Princeton or Florida Atlantic, uh, I don't know if there's really another one. I don't really deem Arkansas being a, a Cinderella type. Maybe even San Diego State, even though I know they're a five seed, but off the radar team. Among those, how many and who, who and how many advanced to the Elite you know, Eight? Be sacks. Yeah, that's uh, that's I don't I don't think I mean it, would you say Michigan State can't be a Cinderella yet you know Michigan State comes in as a seven yeah you know I mean if you if you want to make them a Cinderella you know you can make them a Cinderella but I I don't see that you know material but I do think I think Michigan State's gonna win that game I really do yeah. uh, well. That that will put me in dire straits. I don't know if I've told you or not, but Thamel and I made a, a friendly wager for a stake before the tournament started. His contention was that there would be at least one team seated seventh or higher make the final four. And I told him, look around at all of the conference tournaments. I realized it could happen. I said, all of those major conference tournaments, we either had one, two, or like even in the case of, of the ACC, you had a team that tied or the regular season title, playing it against a team that at the time was one of the hottest in the country. I said, form held. Not that I expected form to hold, but now you're down. If you're looking at teams seated seven or below, obviously he's got a couple of good candidates in Michigan State and Arkansas. But Those are the two that have a shot. Yeah, Those, they, are, the two, those are the two that have a shot. Arkansas, you know, if they could muck the game up, if they could turn UConn over, they can get up underneath them and pressure them. They can run Jordan Hawkins off the three-point line if they defend you know, the ball pressure makes it harder for them to get the ball in the snow go. That there's a chance for a, a win. Michigan State, it's really going to come down. Can they keep contain Noel? Ball screen defense is on both team on both sides. That, that's what that game's coming down to, Reese. I yeah. mean, Marquise Noel was a joke. Yeah, he was great. He he was absolutely phenomenal. And then Masood knocks down that deep three against Kentucky. I mean, and you know, Antonio Reeves couldn't make a shot, but. I think those are the two that have legitimate shots. Although your boys in, in New Jersey, yeah, ain't no joke. But I think those are the two that have a shot. I'm going to tell you one other team, and then I want to do one big picture thing here, Seth. I think Florida Atlantic, and not just because John L. Davis was a dude yesterday. My pick Ooh. for dude of the day. <laughs> 29-12, steals, five assists, or whatever. It was, uh, what he was unbelievable. He was in, he, but the one thing. Florida Atlantic against Tennessee. Now, we haven't seen Zakai Ziegler's absence hurt the Volunteers yet. The way Florida Atlantic plays is not, is not going to be as uh, susceptible to somebody coming in and giving a UFC move uh, to somebody and knocking them off rhythm. Instead, uh, can the Volunteers take care of the basketball against that relentless swarming bunch and Davis, who's kind of fearless and, and said a bad word on true TV, Jamie Erdahl, by the way, how funny, did you see that afterwards? Yeah. He said, I, <laughs> Davis is like, I've been trying to prove this expletive. And he goes, Oh no. And she goes, that's okay. We're on true TV, which was <laughs> hilarious. Basic cable. She, she's, been you're good. Yeah. She, but, uh, she's been great. I, look, I like, you know, you talk about after you can look, that team plays fast and ahead of the defense, so they're not going to have to bang mm -hmm. heads. That team's going to shoot a ton of threes, as we know. They play with great space, a single post. They're going to force some of those bigs to guard out on the floor. 
if they can get stops, which, you know, we know we've seen Tennessee get stuck. Mm-hmm. They're flying down to court, man. They're, yeah. I mean, they're, they're flying, they're flying down to court. And I was really impressed with Dusty's May's poise yesterday. Mm-hmm. I thought he showed great, great poise in a game that, and his team reflected his poise mm-hmm. because they continued to play with confidence. They continued to play their game. They didn't pull it back on, on some of those shots. They, they let it fly. Um, they stay true to who they were. So uh, you might lose that bet. Well, that would no. They have to get to the final four, so they would have to beat. Uh, oh, the final yeah. four. So that that has me rooting it, rooting against some of, uh, rooting some of, against some of these teams. I have a, I have a friend who's like locked in on this whole conference thing, and he's like texting me during the uh, day. Get get this league out. Get the Big Ten out. Get the ACC out. Whatever. All of this conference stuff is is only for bragging rights it's only important for one reason and it's important because it comprises the bulk of your schedule so it is important in that regard but when it comes to the tournament you know i've heard people say well the big 10 stinks because you know only michigan state's left and indiana and purdue you know are out the acc stinks because only miami's in and i'm not saying that the acc wasn't a little down this year but to me that is the most overrated thing that happens in the tournament but it's it's simple it resonates it lets fans brag it 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 matter it does not matter in these games what conference you played in um other than the fact that it comprised a bulk of your schedule, built your resume, but it doesn't inform who's going to win a particular game in the tournament. Do you agree? Am I on the right track here in your judgment? Not that it's going to change my mind, but um, no, I look, I do agree because look, look, your conferences are your body of work. I mean, that's what it is. It's 20, you know, now it's basically 20 games, it's two thirds of your schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what you do in your non conference as a league. Quite honestly, the Big Ten was successful out of conference. The Big 12 was successful out of conference. The SEC was successful out of conference. That's just the way it is. But when the NCAA tournament starts, everyone's in the same conference. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone's yeah. in the same conference. Right. It's not, you're not playing against a conference. You're playing against the 14 bracket. Yeah. That you're playing against. So, like, you know, and 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 the tournament is about matchups and, and the tournament's about being out at the right time. The tournament's about, dealing with the pressure and tournaments about another, a number of d- different obstacles. I think the bigger conversation is you look at this sweet 16, how many freshmen excluding Alabama's freshmen have impacted their teams. I'm, I'm, scroll, I'm scrolling through. It's, and don't, uh, and don't, it, don't give me Nick Smith and Anthony Black. Those no, two dudes it's were not like really the, It's not really them. Yeah, I mean, they're it's not them. They, it was Ricky. It was Ricky right, Council and Devo Davis. You know, right, they're in, they're important guys to Arkansas's chances. Sure. But you're right. The it was the older guys who made the. And I would even offer this as as good as as Miller was in the second game, and as good as Clowney was in the first game. Who's been Alabama's best player in the tournament? Javon Quinterly. Javon Quinterly, and he's you know he's almost as old as you and me. So and I, I so like we get caught up in the conference thing. I totally agree with you. That that that's just that's you know what that is. But it, it's fun for bragging rights. I'm not saying yeah. people shouldn't do it, but it doesn't really inform who who might win a game just because. Well, they played in this league or that league. You know? It's almost like the net. It's easy to digest. Right. You know. And here, you know? here's the, here's the thing. Here's the best way to look at it right now. Okay. You've got you've got 
one team left from the Big Ten, right? And you've got three teams left from the Big East. Well, the Big East team that ripped through um, that ripped through the regular season and ripped through the tournament is gone at the hands of the one remaining Big Ten team. Yet the Big yep. East has three teams still left yep. in the in the Sweet Sixteen. So you know it's uh there and there are other examples. The ACC, you know, their regular season uh, co champion and is is still alive and nobody else is. And the team that many, including me. I uh, thought was the best team in the ACC gets bounced by an injured team yep. from the SEC. So yep. uh, I, let's, let's leave it on this Seth. I, you've heard me complain a lot about um, the overly, the collision nature. Basketball is a contact sport in my judgment. It's not a collision sport um, that there's, that there's been too much. I referenced earlier that Chris Mack tweeted about the, the hard hand checks, the checking cutters, the, the bump that there's too much. So it, the obvious question is, we can sit here and complain, but the real question should be, what do we do about it? What what should what should be done in your judgment to maintain some level of physicality so that you know it's not uh, a no contact game, but to get rid of some of the things that bogs games down, keeps many of them low scoring. Though we had some higher scoring games last night, what would you change, or would you change anything? I'll tell you, I wouldn't change. I'd just adjudicate the rules. That's real simple. I mean, like, here, here's the deal. Adjudicate the rules. So, so, and I, you know, Tennessee beat Duke. So, like, please don't at me. Tennessee beat Duke. Combo was terrific. Uh, mm -hmm. Their game plan was phenomenal. Right? And I, ta I talked to a bunch of officials. The first 10 minutes of that game was so poorly officiated, it was ridiculous, and it set the tone for the rest of the game. Plain and simple, all right? If the first five minutes of the game is adjudicated correctly, you don't have to deal with the rest of the game because you've addressed it, and now the players and the coaches adjust. So it is very simple. Adjudicate the game to the letter of the law, all right? That's what they do in the NBA. Mm -hmm. That's what they need to do in college basketball, all right? You can't redefine a foul because, well, you know, we call all the fouls, the best players are going to be off the court. No, yeah. if you no. call all Too the bad. fouls early, yeah. The best players will have to adjust. You cannot redefine a foul. And you know what? And that's been the problem in the tournament. That's been the problem in some certain leagues during the course of the season. Uh, you know, a lot of the officials say, well, the game got so physical. I'm just, I'm, I'm officiating advantage. All right. No. Officiate the rules of the game. And when you officiate the rules of the game, then everything else will fall in place. It's that plain and simple. Shot goes up, turning, and look, when I coached, the game was officiated differently. We played, we played Duke the second time our first year. I had Jeff King, a football player um, uh, that had decided to play basketball for a year. I started in that game. The first shot went up. The uh, first offensive possession for Duke, they tried to duck it, Sheldon Williams. I told Jeff King to knock him on his ass. Jeff King knocked him on his ass. Basically, it's just what you did. Rick Barnes probably the other day said, first time ball goes up, forget about the ball, knock Filipowski on his ass. They knocked him on his ass. That's a flagrant one. Mm -hmm. All right? It's plain and simple. It was excessive. Physical and excessive, not part of the game. It doesn't mean you don't step to a guy, put a forearm on him, and turn and block him out. Oh, there was course. no turn and block him out. Yeah. All right? 
that's just the way it is. So if you adjudicate the rules of the game and then make everyone else adjust, you'll be fine. We don't need to reinvent ourselves. We just need to abide by the laws. And I understand if you're driving on a highway, some people go 60 when it's 60, some people go 85. You don't always get caught going 85. But in a game of basketball, on this stage, if you want to have a quality of, of your product, officiate the game. And they, that's all you need to do. Now, I would clean up the block charge call. Absolutely. That was the only thing I was going to up. I would clean up block charge. And also, the you know I don't know how many practices I've been at this year where people talk about blowing up dribble handoffs. No, no, no. Guard them. You know, if you go crash, well, you got to switch. There, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you either yeah. got to switch them, or you got to push up and go under. I mean, I mean, like, yeah. or beat in the spot. You know, topside it and force yeah. the guy. Or here's the dribble handoff. All right, you know what we're doing with topside. We're gonna force the back door, which to me makes a little bit more sense because if you topside it and you're keeping the ball on one side of the floor, you're all your off ball defense can get you know get to the midpoint and and you'll be fine. But yeah, I mean, look, people. The other way people blow up dribble handoffs is you can just trap them. And mm-hmm. that's a legal way of blowing them up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or it's, check out this dribble handoff, boom, trap it. It's just, like, it's just like a ball screen. Treat it like a ball screen. Blitz it. And then basically have two interceptors and a protector. Yeah, I, I think when I think that when people hear me and others complain about this, you think that I'm wanting all these touch fouls. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some of the collisions that you were referencing. Physical blockouts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Holding your ground on defense if you have to. Absolutely. Yep. But but some of these collisions, some of this holding, people trying to cut with the whole freedom of movement initiative, which was working a couple of years ago, that sort of come to a grinding halt. Let's get back to that. Adjudicate the rules. Seth, you're well-dressed as always. And I, I apologize for uh, for going quarter zip on you here, but I'm actually going to make quarter zip one day, sneakers the next. What is this word? The next thing you won't be wearing a pocket spray this weekend. No way. No, I'll be full. <laughs> su- I'll be full suit at least on Saturday. Sunday we'll have we'll have to see. Depends on how quickly one. you make that escape. Yeah. <laughs> it's on how but it depends on how fast I have to get to the airport. You and Bill should be racing each other. <laughs> oh man. Seth. Always fun, my friend. Enjoy the tournament. I'll see you later this week. Thanks, buddy. This has been the College Game Day Podcast, Sweet 16 edition. Pete Thamel will be back. We'll talk more about it as time goes on. Taylor, you wanted to give me a hard time about Duke before we leave. Is that that what you wanted? Mm, Well, my biggest question about Duke is something that I noticed about John Shire. He looks awfully tan for a guy that lives in a place that probably isn't too sunny or hasn't been. Do you think he's got a deal to the local uh, you know, tanning parlor. Do you have any inside info? I, I, I don't have inside info, and I would say that if John is spending time in a tanning bed, that would surprise me. That, <laughs> he that, looks good. Yeah, he, he's uh, – I don't know if tanned, rested, and ready would quite describe him this soon after that tough loss, but that would surprise me. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe, maybe just uh, – I know they try to get outside and play a little tennis or pickleball or something. So maybe to relax, not, you know, maybe they're not doing that in the season. That might've been a preseason thing, but uh, right. Yeah, so right. I don't know. I don't have any insight on, uh, on the tanning situation with John Shire, but I can try to get to the bottom of it. If you need me to. <laughs> I, I one more question for you. I feel like Duke kind of gave up at the end of that game. Like they just, 
I, I don't know. Like it feel, felt kind of like they packed it in. What did you feel? You know, they were down 11. You know, it's not insurmountable, but to see them kind of pull back was interesting. I think, I think what, what happens in the tournament, I think especially with now they had a couple of veterans coming off the bench and Jeremy Roach has been around at least a little bit. Um, they had a lot of young guys. And I think what happens, they got demoralized and they, mm, yeah. you know, they, they probably not, I don't know if it would have made a difference or not in that game, but Mark Mitchell would have been a guy who might've hit back a, a little bit more in that game for mm -hmm. them. But Tennessee, I, I do take issue with the way the game was officiated. And as I said, on game day yesterday, two things can be true. And one is that Seth, as Seth pointed out, and I agree with the game was poorly officiated. It was way too physical and that's right in Tennessee's wheelhouse, but that's the way the game was called. And so the other thing is true is that under the circumstances that were set forth in that game, Tennessee outplayed them and earned and deserved to win the game. So both oh, yeah. of those things are true. The game should not have been officiated that way. It was way too physical, and the early hit on Filipowski was dirty. I mean, it just was. Those things are true. But it is also true that Tennessee outplayed them, that they played with a lot of heart, and under the um, the rules, the confines, the uh, – the situation that was established early, the volunteers outplayed them and deserved to win the game. So that, that's, that's where, that's where I stand on that and good for them. And now it'll be interesting to see them go against, against Florida Atlantic. And I started to wear, um, speaking of quarter zips, uh, I was rocking the the Princeton quarter zip from my son's baseball time there. And Mitch, Hand Mitch Henderson occasionally would wander over to baseball games when Christopher was playing there and hang out with his kids for a little while. And, uh, you know, it's a really uh, neat campus and atmosphere and they're all rooting for each other. And, you know, so I'm, I'm wishing, wishing Mitch and the Tigers well as they continue, uh, continue on this. This has been the College Game Day Podcast. I'm not sure when we'll be back, but I'm sure it will be later this week. Pete Thamel some, have in some high-level meetings or some such thing. He couldn't join us. Thanks for listening and download this podcast wherever it is you like to get your podcast.